Welcome once again to another episode of the Random Access Podcast brought to you by RAPodcast.net. This is episode 165, recorded live on Saturday, August 7th, 2010. And here are your hosts, the man who started this recording, Andy Lowe. Hi. The co-host, who is normally on this recording ahead of time, Dave Pillay. Yeah. And our guest this week is not Mo. Thanks, Mo. But the women who just joined the podcast five minutes ago, Aubrey from South Peak Games. Hey. Very nice. I think Saving you, our asset. <laughs> I think that's a new record, though, for least amount of prep time before a guest comes on. Yeah, that's fine. We can do this. So, Aubrey, what is South Peak Games? Sorry to, you know, just put it out there. Andy. <laughs> right. For those, um, for those of us... For those of us who don't know... You never played Two Worlds or saw Two Worlds? No. That's a shame. That is a true, sh- a true shame, sir. No, but um, we're a uh, small publisher. Um, we work primarily with uh, independent game studios um, and people who um, normally would have a really good game concept, but um, it kind of more things that other publishers wouldn't pick up because it's not going to sell two million units or whatever. Um, our business model is kind of uh, set up so that we can actually be we can be profitable um, and we can help developers be profitable on uh, games that don't need to sell a million units to make a profit. So, um, yeah, like indie games. Wow. So you're not you're not. This is what the one thing I've always been confused about is how are publishers different than developers. Um, well, we don't actually, um, we don't do any of the development work ourselves. We just basically help developers get their games out to, you know, gamers and get them into retail stores and stuff like that. So we're kind of like their facilitator. Um, whereas the developers do all of, you know, the coding and the artwork and the stuff like that. Okay. Now I, I do know some publishers who like to involve themselves in the development. Do you guys do that or do you just kind of give your developers a free hand? Um, well, I mean, some publishers even get really heavy into owning their own studios. You know, like Rockstar does, EA, you know, a lot of big publishers will, will own studios. Um, but we specifically, you know, we make it a rule to not own any studios because we want it to really be more of an independent process. Um, so yeah, I mean, we pretty much, we give our, you know, one of the great things that we offer because we don't have this mentality that, oh, you have to sell a million units to be successful is that we give developers a lot of flexibility with, you know, letting them decide how they want the game to look and play and feel and stuff like that. Okay. Now, are you, is there like a specific genre that you're stuck with or do you just any type of indie game? No, I mean, we do everything, everything from, you know, obviously you said two worlds, you know, your RPGs to family stuff, um, casual stuff. So, I mean, it could be anything. It just depends on, you know, what kind of concept it is and, you know, if it sounds like it would be fun and a good game. That's good to hear. Where are you located, based? Where's the company based off of? We're in Dallas, Texas, where it's like 115 degrees right now. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hoping you have air conditioning. Yeah, it's uh, you would pretty much die without air conditioning here. 
Now, how, because normally you think, when you think of video games, you think either West Coast out in California or up in Seattle or East Coast, like New York City and Boston. How does it, how is it working out of Dallas? It doesn't seem to be much of a video game hub. Am I wrong or? Um, well, there actually are a bunch of developers here. Like it is here. Um, Gearbox is here. Um, you know, there's, it's not nearly as big as San Francisco or New York, obviously. Um, but I guess there's, there's upsides and downsides. So, you know, the upside is um, it's a lot easier for us to, you know, like we can afford to buy houses here, for example, like less cost of living for the people who actually work at South Peak. Um, And it's easier for us to get around like when I, I travel a lot for what I do. So, you know, for me to fly out to San Francisco is, you know, a couple hours to New York is also a couple hours, whereas like. If I was in San Francisco, it would be like a whole day flying across the country to New York and that kind of thing. Um, but of course, the downside is, you know, being in Texas, you have to travel all the time <laughs> because everything is everywhere else. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, te- Texas is interesting. There's a lot more developers here. Not so much publishers, but developers uh, than you'd really think. So traveling is easier. There's just more of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I drove through the, the the thin part of Texas when I was driving out to LA, and that still took forever. Oh yeah, definitely. So what what games have you been playing recently? Um, well, uh, coincidentally, right now I am um, playing Red Dead Redemption. Since you know it, everybody was like, could you just walk outside? I mean, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But everybody said it was awesome, and uh, earlier this year I had done Mass Effect. I did Mass Effect 1, and then I did Mass Effect 2, like, back-to-back. Um, so after that, I was like, well, what the hell am I going to do with myself? So I decided Red Dead would be the thing. And it's cool. I like it. I'm not really, like, I've never been, like, a, a GTA fan. I'm, I'm one of the five people in the universe that doesn't like that game franchise too much. Um, but I really like Red Dead. It's super fun. I really... <laughs> Um, I, I'm, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm. Go ahead, Dave. Not. Well, I, I was gonna say that I'm, I'm not like enthralled by GTA. I liked it. It was a decent game. GTA Four is the only one I've really played though, so I can't say much about the franchise. Yes, somebody still has my copy of that game. Jeez, Dave. So, how many Aubrey? How many people do you have working for you or working in the company? Um, in the company, we've got about fifty people, and we're in three different places. Most of us are in uh, Texas, and then we have our like accounting people um, in Virginia, and then we have a UK office as well. A UK, a UK office. Uh, yeah. A, uh, well, it used to be London, but it's right outside London now. Is there a big UK indie sort of thing going on there? Or um, well, it's it's more like you know any games that we put out here, we tend to also put out um, in the UK. Is what a, is that in the background? Sorry, <laughs> I have I have cats, okay, and I have one that <laughs> I have one. So I thought it was a cat. I was like, is that a cat or a dying child? I don't know. <laughs> Well, okay, there's a story behind this, all right? So my oldest cat is an orange cat, and he's fucking crazy. And he likes to, like, go and, like, dig up my clothes and carry them around the house and, like, rape them. <laughs> and, like, while he's just, like, this is the weirdest story ever. And, like, while he's doing this, he's, like, all moaning and everything. And it's it – he, like, walked in the room, and you should have seen, like, the look of horror on my face. Like, shut up! <laughs> But oh, yes, no. this happens all the time. So 
Sorry. <laughs> Welcome back to Cat Chat. Yeah. <laughs> this is not the first time we've talked about cats on this show. Well, definitely will not be the last. I mean, it's the first time you've ever had a cat raping something on the show. Yeah, yes, probably. That, that might be the first time on that one. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, I'm glad to be part of that. So, Aubrey, okay, just, I'm just going to try a hypothetical situation here. I have a game. How does the game go for me being an indie developer through you to being on a store shelf? Some, are you doing store shelves or is it all digital distribution? Uh, we do both, actually. So um, I guess the first thing is, you know, you get your, I guess, concept pitch together. You get kind of like a presentation on what it is, how the game mechanics work. Um, you know, obviously there's a financial component, so you'd have to figure out, you know, what, what would your financial needs be? And then you would go to publishers and pitch the game for them to publish. Um, and then, you know, they have a whole, generally publishers have a green light process where they evaluate, you know, the concept and, um, how, how, you know, how marketable it would be or how, how viable the concept is and stuff like that. You know, obviously they evaluate the financial side of it and then, you know, you come to agreement. Um, and if you come to agreement and you get your project greenlit, then obviously, you know, whatever financial terms you come to moves forward. Um, and then, you know, some, some, some games, you know, the, the developers will, they'll self-fund the whole thing and then they just want publishers to do all the distribution and the marketing and the PR and sales and stuff like that. Um, sometimes it's sort of, uh, the publisher will fund development. So it just kind of depends on what, what kind of deal it would be. Um, and then once the, uh, the publisher signs the game, you know, they obviously work with you to develop, you know, your milestones, uh, you know, figure out what exactly is going to be included. What does the alpha build look like? What does the beta build look like? Um, and then they work on a whole like marketing plan, PR campaign, um, selling it to the retailers. That's a whole process. Um, figuring out when, you know, a good release date would be, because obviously, you know, you don't want to put out a, or <laughs> it can be a little difficult to put out a, a shooter the same day that a Call of Duty comes out, you know what I mean? So it's, mm -hmm. there's a lot of um, figuring out what the most optimal times are for stuff like that. And just getting the word out to people, that's, you know, that in and of itself is its own, you know, gigantic mountain of, work and planning and stuff like that and then um you know once the game is done you know getting it if it's if it's a console game getting it approved by you know sony or microsoft or nintendo um and then getting it manufactured and shipped to the stores and advertising um and i think that's a lot of it <laughs> now so there's a question that i have it's been something that dave and i have been arguing about i was wondering if you were going to bring this up yeah you were waiting for this weren't you um, yeah. Release dates. Is there still a big holiday season? Is that like still the goal to have is to be released during the holiday season? Is because it will come out with more sales than compared to releasing it during just any other part of the year? Um, I mean, I think in general, holiday is big because it is true that, you know, like I, I worked in retail for a really long time. And I mean, your holiday, just that one quarter in holiday could be equivalent to like, uh, you know, two quarters any other time of the year. You know, so there's just in general a lot of sales that come out in holiday. However, um, it, it used to be like that all the big games would come out in the holiday, right? But now a lot of games will push out to the first quarter just because there's so much coming out in holiday time period that you feel like it's it's not optimal. You just there's too much competition. So in order to kind of get better 
better placement and you know more attention from people you push out to the first quarter so now it's we there's like a joke among you know a lot of people that work into the in the industry that it's like q1 is the new q4 (laughs) so um it's it it used to be really heavy into the fourth quarter but now it's just so insane with all the titles coming out for holiday that um you know it's now like basically the uh six months where everything comes out starting in October. And then we have the wonderful summer drought. Right, right. Yeah, summer drought with things like, I don't know, StarCraft. <laughs> right. <laughs> wait, well. Can you really say the last half of July is, well, wait, you're right. Last half of July <laughs> would be, never mind. Last half of July is like definitive summer. <laughs> yeah. But it's StarCraft. You know it's going to have an audience no matter what. Sure. Yeah. I mean, for, for StarCraft, you know, it doesn't really matter. And I mean, because it just it's such an epic, like, everybody knows StarCraft. So. Well, 15 years of success on a single game. Yep. <laughs> well, 12 years, I guess, but still. Yeah. So, Aubrey, how, how is, I'm just curious about this now. How is social media helping you guys out with the marketing and the promoting and everything else like that? Um, for us, I think it actually works out really well because we're a tiny publisher. Um, you know, it's, we're the kind of company where we all know each other really well. Um, (laughs) God damn, my cat is raping again. Sorry. (laughs) 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 Um, yeah, that happened. So, um, you know, like for example, in the marketing department in South Peak, there's like five of us. Um, so we all are inherently close, um, and we're all gamers and we like to know the people that are playing our games. We like to talk to them and, you know, for, so for like Twitter and Facebook and stuff like that, I mean, you know that like if somebody responds to you on Facebook or Twitter, whatever, it's actually one of us. It's not like, you know, some, somebody who works in the company who's never picked up a game controller in their life. It's, you know, you're actually talking to us. Um, so that's cool. And we really like, we like getting involved in that and meeting new people. And, um, you know, it just, we're, we were all kind of like naturally active in the game community anyway. So it's just, um, social media is just another way for us to do that. Um, and I think for, for indie developers and, and publishers that focus on stuff like that, it's good to develop that kind of community like that, that matters a lot. So well, that's good to hear. So, I, Aubrey, one of the things that, that kind of made me think of inviting you on the show is you, you had sent out the email for Battle versus Chess. Indeed. Can you tell us anything about that game? I can. Um, it's sort of like um, if you were to take, you know, chess um, on a, you know, give it HD graphics and then basically take every type of random, weird gameplay um, twist that you possibly could and apply it to that game, that would be this game. So, for example, like, you can play your standard chess with, like, you know, a normal-looking chessboard, um, normal-looking chess pieces, but then, like, you know, there'll be a battle element where, you know, normally if you would take a piece according to the basic rules of chess, um, you know, there's modes where, like, you'll have to go into sort of like a quick time event type thing where you have the two pieces and they have actual battle animations and you have to hit all of the... Um, you have to hit all the buttons, you know, when they pass a certain mark in order to actually do damage to the other player. So there's like all these kind of interesting like fighting elements to it. Um, there's one mode that you go into where if, you know, a, a, a piece is attacking you or you're attacking a piece, you go into this like Bomberman type uh, mini game and you have to basically like beat up the other piece in this mini game in order to actually take that square 
Um, and there's all kinds of other stuff. Like um, there's a mode uh, called uh, it's a madness placement mode where it basically takes all the chess pieces and randomizes them. Oh. So like, yeah, it's it's like if you're normally used to like um, you know your classic chess placement, it just throws that all like totally out the window. So it, it's really cool. It's it's very it's very out there. So nice. Oh man, that just. Because I've been playing chess now on the Windows Vista, and now it, or not Windows Vista, Windows Seven, and that just blew my mind. Thinking, oh God, there's there'd be no openings anymore. It's you don't have a set. Yeah. Oh. That yeah. Would be, man, that, so it's like chess and Mario Party. For real, all the strategy that you know is for chess is totally like obsolete according to this game. <laughs> But it's cool. It's fun. It's it's really different. It's a very, you know, there there have been, you know, obviously there was, you know, Interplay's Battle Chess that came out back in the day. And then there's been, you know, other types of Battle Chess games that have come out. But this really takes like the whole concept of, you know, chess with a fighting element and just takes it way beyond anything else that has come out. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Yeah. Game. When is when is this going to be released? Uh, we're looking at the end of September. Um, it's actually going to be on every platform, um, but we're going to do end of September for the Xbox 360, PS3, and PC, and then the other platforms will come out probably sometime in the spring. Now, there's not going to be cross-platform play, right? I can't play on my 360 against someone on a PS3. Mm-mm. Dang. No, so you're going to have to n- decide who you want to play with, which is always the uh, decision, the conundrum when it comes to what platform you're going to buy. <laughs> Yep. Or it could just be easy and all your friends just own one platform. Right. <laughs> and that convinces you which one to actually purchase. Right. Indeed. Out of all my friends own one platform, I might be tempted to get the other just so that someone has it. But then you won't be able to play with any of your friends. Sure you will. You go to their house like you used to. Well, you see, some of us don't have that ability anymore. Well, that's because some of us decided to move to the other side of the state. Oh, drama. <laughs> <laughs> I just see Aubrey's just sitting here going, what's going on? <laughs> what are they do- Why are they fighting? <laughs> Why can't everybody get along? Just hug it out, boys. Hug it out. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just a TV show that I just saw recently. So, oh, okay. so um, do you think we should hit topics, Dave? Yeah, I think so. It's been like 15, 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's hit some topics. Okay. Dave, you don't have a BlackBerry, do you? No, I have a G1. You know that. Yes. Aubrey, do you have a BlackBerry? I do have a BlackBerry. Is does is that like the thing to have now, or people have, have they branched out to the iPhones and the Android phones? Or is it still uh, most people have the Blackberries? No, I mean, I think, you know, from my perspective, like iPhone is the hottest thing around. But, um, you know, a lot of, like, my BlackBerry I have for work, so a lot of people have the same situation where they've got, maybe they have, like, an iPhone for, like, personal use and then a BlackBerry for work. Um, I mean, personally, like I'd prefer to have an iPhone, but I kind of hate AT&T just, you know, my personal opinion or whatever, but, uh, cause I've actually heard really bad things about the service. So, um, yeah. So like when that, when it, at that, uh, press conference that they were having, the guy like screamed out Verizon at the uh, Apple press conference and they were talking about the iPhone. I thought that was really hilarious. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess a lot of people still have them, um, and I'm sure that there are, are a lot of people that like them, but, uh, you know, everybody's talking about the iPhone. So it's either that they market really well, and I've totally bought into it, or that that may actually be the case. Ah. So, uh, Dave, you don't have to worry about this, but um, Aubrey, if you and I ever go to Dubai, 
we won't be able to use the blackberries. Yeah, that's messed up. (laughs) I forget, and you have a blackberry. Yes, yes I do. It's quite old. Yes. But it's still a blackberry. But yeah, the United Arab Emirates starting on October 11th have to do without blackberry email, messaging, and web services on their phones. They can still use them as a phone, but who does that anymore? I mean, come on. Yeah, right. I think I would die. (laughs) What was their reasoning for this? Did you see? Um... They say it's based on security concerns because the BlackBerry data is automatically shipped to company computers abroad, where it's difficult for local authorities to monitor for illegal activity or abuse. So they're doing it for security concerns, but most people just say it's the way for the country's conservative government to crack down even more on politically objectionable materials. Yeah. So I'm not sure how I feel. I mean, on the one hand, there's a valid argument of like law enforcement. On the other hand, the government shouldn't need to have immediate access to a lot of that data on a daily basis. I Like, why can't they just ask the company for it? Well, the company is based out of Canada. Okay. So it's... Andy, get, hang, hang on. Aubrey, I'm sorry, can you say where you are again? In Texas. Andy, where are you? In Michigan. Okay, thank you. I don't get what you're trying to prove with that there. That, we, we have instant communication. Okay, yeah, and then we, we've talked with people in Australia at the same time, yes, okay. Right, so the argument of, oh, it's all the way over in Canada. Mm. But then the whole idea of international laws, that kind of messes with things. That does. I, I will cede that point. So what else... For what it's worth, it's not only uh, the UAE. Lebanon is considering doing this as well, as are other Arab states. Oh, my. Well. (laughs) So don't go to the Middle East if you have BlackBerry. Well, don't use your BlackBerry in the Middle East because you won't be able to. And then you'll get charged horribly for using a data plan while roaming, too. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, that that hurts. So Google Wave. It came. It saw. It left. It left. You never really used Wave, did you? No. There there was one day where I used Wave, and that was it. Yeah. Did you? It's kind of sad. I, I used it for a little bit. I still think it would be great for, like, uh, an online D&D game. But can't you just... The, the play-by-email online D&D was almost basically the same. Gee, speaking of... Yes, I know. The game has been dead for I don't know how long. Yeah, I'm not sure I even remember what happened. Well, that was the thing, is all your players' memories had been wiped. Surprise. Oh, yeah. Right. So there goes Google Wave. Bye-bye, Google. Wave bye to the wave. <laughs> that was bad, Dave. Uh, yeah. Oh, what did you expect? Good point. I mean, I, yeah. This is me. Really? I mean, come on. So how, so, we, how we spend time online. This should be fun. Uh-oh. The Nielsen Company says that 40% of the U.S. people just spend online doing one of three activities. Social Porn? No. Oh. Social networking, playing games, and emailing. Aubrey, when was I'm the last sure. time you did not use one of the, the internet for one of those three? Uh never. I don't know. All <laughs> I do all of the above constantly. Constantly. Yeah, it's I, I can't think of when I wasn't using it recently for just one of those three things. Right. Social I know. networking games and how about looking at the news? I look at my news through the social networks or through my email. Right. Uh, that's right, because you, you get your RSS feeds emailed to you. Yes. I'm so hip. I'm above RSS feeds. It just goes straight into my Google. Uh, yeah, I have to agree. What, I mean, I'm not sure. I can't remember the last thing I did that was not one of those things. It, every, every, I love how everybody says, oh, yeah, you can do anything with the Internet. And most people just do 
Facebook social networking games. games. And- yeah, Facebook, Facebook games and their email. Okay, okay. I can think of one thing. All right. So, oh, go ahead. all right. Earlier this week, I was in the car and we were driving up from LA to San Francisco and we were driving on the 101 and there's these random ass bells on the side of the road. And so I'm not from California, so I have no idea what they are. Um, so I used the internet to go to Wikipedia and look up what the hell these bells were. So I, I used it for information. <gasps> oh my God. What a- were they? They're, um, apparently they're like, um, bells from, they used to, it basically like the 101 follows like this old, like mission trail in California where like, I guess missionaries or whatever used to like go up and down the coast or whatever. Um, and they put a bell like at certain intervals, which are supposed to mark out like the time that it takes to travel from one to the next by horse or something weird like that. But and basically like they're this historical thing and apparently the bells have been there for like over a hundred years and stuff like that. So it's kind of, it was, it was a very random thing, but so there, but it's kind of cool though that like, you know. 20 years ago, if you were driving on that road and you didn't know what the bells would be like, oh, I wonder what that is, huh? And then you just like, you know, forget about it. But now I can just pull up my BlackBerry and do a Google search and there it is. Yes, but then there's the other point of wherever your BlackBerry is, you are. Sure. <laughs> it's true. And you, people can get a hold of you no matter what. It's true. Well, no. People can ring your phone, but they can't necessarily get a hold of you. Okay. Yeah, that's true. I don't have to answer. <laughs> Ignore. Like if you were if you were in the middle of the Sahara Desert, you probably couldn't get service, and therefore you would be out of touch. Middle of Sahara, dude. I was in the middle of Iowa, and I couldn't get service. Dave, there are parts of the road that yeah that I'm driving on up here that I can't get service. It's for everybody who says the internet is everywhere. It's not yet, unless you're you know on a major highway in California, or you're on Verizon. That too. Well, you know you can get internet on planes now. Yep. Which is dangerous for workaholics like me who literally have no social life and do nothing other than pretty much play games and work. Um, it's really dangerous. What are you talking about? You're, yeah. you're doing a podcast. That's Well, well, you know, I do podcasts. But, you know, whatever. But it's, 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 like, it's kind of like to the point where if I get on a plane now and there's no internet, I'm actually like super disappointed. Yep. And then you get bored and you sit there going like, hmm... Yeah, exactly. It's like I don't know what to do with myself, but whatever. I mean, what, like four years ago, internet on a plane was unheard of. Oh, totally. And now you're sad if the plane does not have it. I am sad. I admit. Well, but I'm going to guess that a lot of your plane flights are on the company expense. Yes. Yep. So you know, and a lot of it is like you know, I'm traveling, like doing press tours and stuff like that, and. I get. I actually calculated out once. I get an email every two minutes, um, so <laughs> I uh, spend a lot of my time just like trying to go through emails and stuff like that. And a lot of a lot of times, like I actually need to be doing work while I'm on the plane just to keep up with everything that's going on. So, um, and I you know, often travel like during what my normal work week would be anyway. So. Um, and it's like half a necessity and half part of my horrible internet addiction. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. I do have to say, it does kind of feel nice to know that I can put the BlackBerry down and not worry about it for a weekend or a week. 
I, I had the data plan on my phone for a month, and I only used 47 megabytes. So, Well, but you have a GPS in your car. Yes. If you didn't have that, I'd be willing to bet you'd use a lot more of your data plan. Hmm, maybe. But then the GPS only cost $90 at one time. That's what, three months of internet? And the GPS I can use forever, you know, until its maps are out of date that I'm driving on roads that do not exist, and then it gets all confused. (laughs) I can't believe over two years now and no map updates. Sad. So, Dave, what's this about DRM? Uh, There was a federal ruling about DRM and circumventing uh, copy protection and security. And if you remember in the, the DMCA, there's a whole section about, oh, where did it go? Anti-circumvention provision yes. in the DMCA, right? Well, General Electric unlocked using a hacked key certain parts of their software. Not their software, but the software that they were using. And so the software company sued them and took them to court. And the judge ruled that they did not infringe on the copyright. How, though? They were using a hacked machine. Merely bypassing, quote, merely bypassing a technological protection that restricts a user from viewing or using a work is insufficient to trigger the DMCA's uh, anti-circumvention provision. Oh. So what is sufficient? (laughs) Yeah, if if you're using... mm, What... Yeah, Dave, what it would be sufficient then? I don't know. Okay, so let's see. The DMCA prohibits only forms of access that would violate or impinge on the protections that the Copyright Act otherwise affords copyright owners. So if you're doing something to break copyright laws, then... Then it violates it? Then it violates it. But... Mm. They didn't destroy the line, but they made it very fuzzy. Great. Aubrey, what kind of uh, DRM does South Peak use, if they use any? Um, the only time we ever have to, I mean, obviously when we make, um, you know, any kind of uh, Xbox 360 games or PS3 games, they, you know, because they're on a specific platform, they have the DRM that is just naturally built into those games. Um, but it's when it's a PC game that that's when it really comes into question for us, what exactly we're going to do. Um most of the time, we just go for something like a really simple, like registration key type thing, um, just because we don't want to do something that's so complicated that it frustrates people. But we still want to do enough, I guess, DRM that you know it's it's not going to prohibits piracy to some extent, if that makes any sense whatsoever. A little bit. Yeah. I mean, it, it basically, it's it's almost like leaving your front door open. You know what I mean? Like, we don't want to leave the front door open, but we don't want to make the lock on it so ridiculously complicated that you, you know, legitimate users have trouble with it. Kind of like Ubisoft with their Assassin's Creed DRM that required you to connect to an authentication server and then wouldn't let you play if it couldn't connect to the authentication server. And lo and behold, the authentication the server, server, down. The server goes down and all the legitimate buyers of the software could not play it but all the pirated people still can yeah i think that's problematic um you know you should it there's there's got to be some kind of balance between um you know protecting your work but yet not penalizing people who legitimately paid money for it speaking of indie games and pirating mash and mac and oh 
Dave, how do you pronounce it? Machinarium. Machinarium. This crazy Czechoslovakian. We interviewed the guy who wrote it. I mean, we, we should be able to say it. I know. I still can't pronounce it, though. Machinarium. Something like that. But for those of you... Said with that, that, like, very, not thick, but noticeable Czech accent. Yeah. But for the, the game, um, it's normally 20 bucks to buy Machinarium. I'm just going to call it that from now on. Okay. But according to the developers, they said that only 5 to 15% of the players actually paid for the game. So they decided, hey, you can get the game legitimately now until August 12th for 5 bucks. So That might be worth it. I, I have already I purchased it. I didn't pirate it. it. I, I, I have not pirated this game. Uh, I actually haven't played it at all. I have purchased it. It is already downloaded and waiting to be installed, but we're in the middle of a podcast, and my computer would probably die trying to do the podcast and install software and at the same time. <laughs> so so a year after we interviewed the guy about it, you've downloaded it? Yes. Okay. But I'm, I'm a poor unemployed person, you know? Right. Yeah. Now? Now now I'm an unemployed person. Yes, good point. Uh. So they've they've released a. It's not really. It's five dollars for any. You don't have to have pirated no. to get the five dollar deal. No, you do not have but to have already pirated. It's not even amnesty. Amnesty implies that if you don't do it, they're going to start going after you. Well, maybe they are going to start going after them. That would be kind of interesting. Uh, I think it's more that they're just kind of pleading with people of, please, really, guys, just buy the game. Uh, I can see it. But either way, it's Machinarium, five bucks. Yeah. If you haven't already gotten it, you should go and get it now. I'll, I'll, I'll withhold that until you get a chance to play it, and then I'll ask you. Well, let's get through this podcast, and I will let you know. Okay, so you know what I want to play? <laughs> what? Settlers of Catan on the Surface. On the on the Surface? On the Microsoft Surface. A fully licensed actual version of Settlers Catan. On the Surface. On the Surface. But how would you... Because you have, you have cards. Yeah. That you don't want to show other people. So there's two ways to do this. Uh, the first is... Uh, well, all the, the cards, all your hands are at the corners of the table. So they're all separate. And they're face down, but there's a button you can press to turn them face up. So first thing you can do is just cover it with your hands, press the button, see that, see what you, cards you have, press the button, and then they're back down. The other way is that they have these little viewers, which have radio tags. And you put the viewer over the card, and it's got a little shield built onto it so no one else can see it. And the cards that are face down will show as face up under the viewer. Huh. It's actually a really clever way to get around that issue. But there's there's a point though where it's it's nice to actually have the board with the wooden pieces. Yes. And something I agree with that wholeheartedly. Cuz I, I it would be you know it's a great time to play board games when there's no power. Oh hell yes. That's a great time. That's that's like the one time where it's the it's the perfect time. You get some candles out. You get everybody because there's not much else going on. You get everybody around. And you just yep. you play board games. Yeah, perfect time. Wouldn't be able to do that with this. No, it'd be like all right, everybody, let's sit around this table and sit here and chat. Yeah, and yet it, in places where power outs are you know very infrequent, like a hotel lobby. Wait, you're going to go to the hotel just to play Settlers of Catan on their surface? No. Uh-huh. Well, actually, when I'm in Seattle, I might, because they're going to have it there. Oh. And tell you what, I'll get my... Well, I don't actually own Settlers of Catan yet. You don't own Catan. No. That's an, it's an expensive board game. Jeez. Yes, it is. Well, most board games like that are actually pretty expensive. Pandemic was like $35, $40. Ticket to Ride, I think, is $60. I don't know. How much is Ticket to Ride? 
I think I just bought Risk, and it was like it was really expensive. It was like fifty bucks or something. Really? Yes, it was. It was ridiculous. I, I couldn't believe it, but I was desperate. I wanted Risk so badly, so oh, I had to do it. Dave, did I did I tell you the uh, new boxes of diplomacy? Because you know how the old ones used to have the the metal armies and fleets. Yeah. The uh, the new ones, they're not metal. They're just little pieces of paper. They're little punch outs. They're pi- like cardboard. Yes. Oh God, no! That's awful. That's weak. I know. I saw that, Fail. and I'm like, I'm looking at it. And it's it's the official big box. It's not just some knockoff sort of thing. It's the official one, and they just have little cardboard punch outs. And I'm, oh, it's just like Scrabble using proper nouns. It just makes me angry. Yeah, like those awesome little pewter pieces. That was what made one of the things that made diplomacy diplomacy. I know. Why would you do that? I I don't know. Yeah, Ticket to Ride is $50. Oh, my. Board games are expensive. Aubrey, do you guys play board games around the office at all or no? Or is it just strictly video games? Um, No, it's mostly video games. I'm actually a big board game fan like at home, though. Um, but in the office, we usually do like our... You know, Red Dead Nights, or we used to do Battlefield Bad Company 2, there was that for a while, and then we did Halo for a while, so, um, yeah. You should try and convince them to do an old school night, where you just... That would be awesome. That would be cool. Well, we all live, like, really close to the office, so it would be totally easy to do, but... I suggest diplomacy, uh, but set aside a good seven or eight hours if you want to do it. Oh, holy crap. (laughs) It's a long game. Yeah. There's also the attention span um, uh, factor, which... Uh, not- well, in that case, if, if you only want to gather, like, three other people, there's a board game called Pandemic. It's really good. <laughs> All right. I'm going to check this out, but if it's not good, I'm coming after you. Okay. Well, you'll be able to, because we'll, you're going to PAX, right? I am. Well, then you'll be able to go after me at PAX. <laughs> If not Aubrey, you can just contact me. I know exactly where he lives. Yeah, that too. So. Excellent. Excellent. I, I can be your inside man. <laughs> oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Speaking of ridiculousness, 156 different power ups. For N- NHL 11? NHL 11 for their downloadable content for EA Sports. They sell 156 different add-ons. That are not really add-ons. No. They're like, could you imagine like an old game like that, Mario, where you had to pay for the mushroom? Oh, that would be so messed up. Well, you, you can pay 160 Microsoft points and get Goalie Stick High Boost Plus 5. So that's two bucks. Yeah. Two bucks to make your goalie better. Yep. Wait, for, for one power-up? One power-up. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, you guys are in the wrong business, huh? Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. and the worst part is, like, these are going to sell, and they're going to cost nothing. Wow. So can you... Well, I mean, cost nothing to the company. They cost, you know, two bucks per person. Just, ah! Doesn't that, I mean, you can use those when you're playing against other people, right? I assume so, which really sucks. Yeah, so basically, like, if you want to have any chance of... I guess it, it does make it more lifelike. You know, the people with the, the more money can afford the better players. So you buy a used game, you can pay $10 to go online now and play against other people who have spent even more money boosting their characters so you can get creamed. Yep. Yep. Great. 
That's EA's business model. Aubrey, what are your thoughts on microtransactions? Um, well, I mean, I, I don't know that I necessarily agree with um, having it so that in order for you to be competitive, you have to spend all this extra money. You know, I don't know that I agree with that. I mean, I think, like, um, for example, for a game that I'm working on right now, Nailed, um, that Deep Silver's putting out, it's like an off-road uh, racer. You know, the, that's a really, like, multiplayer-centric game. So for Deep Silver to release, like, new, you know, track packs and environments and stuff like that, like, that's cool because it gives you new stuff to do. You know, like, it, it's one thing if you're extending, like, an already full experience, but it's another thing if you, in order to have that full experience, you have to um, spend additional money. So I think... Yeah, I mean, it's it's a very, like, gray, I guess you could argue that it's a gray area, but um, I, I think you should be able to enjoy what you have and have a decent shot at, at playing and having fun with it just with the standard item that you buy. You know, you shouldn't necessarily have to, you know, add on a bunch of stuff if you don't want to. You know, I like that. I agree. Well, maybe, you know, nowhere in here does it say that these work in multiplayer it, it might be that these are just for the single player game oh wait 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 hold on july's nfl football 11 and nfl madden 11 all feature accelerators uh these are all created players yeah it doesn't say if it's single they're all for single player mode no no that's for football okay in nhl's case they are for created players so i which is single player perhaps i don't know but i that's terrible though it really is a hundred. If you think about it, even trying to scroll through all of those, let's say you actually wanted to get like the the uh, secondary jerseys or something, you'd probably have to scroll through a hundred and fifty six different power boosts in order to hunt down the secondary jerseys or something. Oh, it it is alphabetical. Okay, and G comes before S, and forward okay. forward comes before S, and defense comes before S. So those would all be on the top. Uh, you're missing C, aren't you? Center? That That's a forward, Dave. Oh, is that a forward? Yes. Okay. Come on, Dave. You live in Michigan and you don't know hockey? Nope, I don't. Oh, you make me sad sometimes. I know. It's kind of amusing. Just as sad as child porn. That makes me sad. Child porn? Yes. A school uh, handyman. Hey, look, I know we have an explicit tag, the, but really? There, there's no child porn in here. It's just a story about child porn. Okay. <laughs> So yeah, I'm I, sorry I, in advance to anybody who searched for child porn, came up to this podcast, and were like, ooh, nope. <laughs> sorry. I really hope we don't have any of those. Your IP has been logged. We're just letting you know of right now. You, no, your IP has not been logged because, uh, well, I guess it has been, but okay, shush. <laughs> right. Anyway, a school handyman in the UK decided to get back at his boss by planting child pornography on his computer and then calling the cops, which okay, um, he didn't do a very good job of it. And so the, the guy was like, this isn't mine. And then it seems also he had boasted to some of his friends at a barbecue a month beforehand that he was going to do this. What a dumbass. Yeah. And so the cops said, oh, no, this isn't yours. Here's where it came from. <laughs> wow. That's like really Darwinism. Uh, so then this other guy gets arrested for having child porn. Mm-hmm. And kind of surprised he didn't take the, wait, this isn't mine, excuse. Well, when you tell 
people at a barbecue that you dislike your boss and how you wanted to put child porn on his computer so he would be sacked? When you get that specific? Yeah. Oh. guy was a moron. What's really sad, though, is if you think about it, if he wasn't such a moron, would this have actually worked? Probably. You'd have to be very careful with it. Because he sent the police a CD containing 177 pictures, and then he said that the pictures came from the guy's laptop. Yeah, so uh, the, the police, if I read correctly, traced the anonymous call. So there's one thing. Like, you, you have to be smart about how you're calling. Yeah, but... Oh, man, if somebody was actually smart and did this, that would be, oh, that would be evil. That would be seriously evil. Oh, but what, what can you do? Uh, not be done, Not try and get someone else in trouble for child porn. That's what you can do. <laughs> All right, so we should move on to a happier topic. Yes, please. Okay. One that doesn't involve child porn. All right, how about a Agree. overclocking contest? Overclocking. Yes, we're, we're going to stay in the UK. The PC Pro magazine in the UK. Um, posted a challenge to see how quickly these people could render this crazy 3D um, image. It was taking some processors two or three minutes. And it took an Atom netbook uh, 1,935 seconds to render this image. So I don't know what that is. In, that's 32 minutes to, to render one image. So he put... He 32 put, minutes? Yeah. Jeez. So he, he originally was just doing it with his processes around the house. And so he sent out an, a, the, the, the steps of how to do this to all, his, all the readers. And they're like, tell me how fast you get it. Well, he got one um, back from Intel <laughs> who said that <laughs> – Sorry, that's – right there. That, that should give you um, pause. <laughs> when, when you hear a, a word back from a chip manufacturer saying, oh, yeah, Manufacturing we, company. <laughs> we can do this. They are running a i7 CPU at 5 gigahertz. <laughs> oh, dear. They, they can render this image in 50 seconds. Wow. What were they using to cool it? Um, a asterisk lightspeed refrigerated cooling system with a running temperature of negative 40 to negative 32 degrees Celsius. Wow. <laughs> oh, dear. I have to say I'm amused on a, a slightly egotistic mathematics note uh, that the article goes out of its way to point out that it's minus 40 degrees Celsius because it doesn't make a difference. Wait, is that when they're the same temperature? Minus 40 Celsius is minus 40 Fahrenheit. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. I did not know that either. It's where they equal out. Huh. Well, um... They also say that they could get it faster if they cool it down to a negative 180 degrees Celsius, and they could get the, the CPU to be stable at around 6 gigahertz. Jesus, that's insane. So if you wonder what people at Intel are doing... <laughs> the best part is this had to be a group of engineers like, we could do better than that. Let's go get the parts. And they just walk down the hall and get the parts they need. Mm. Well, it... Those bastards. Um... It seems that it's the Intel's IT department guy who's a big overclocking nut. So they, they just gave him the challenge. He's like, okay, I can do this. So if, if you're working as an IT person at a technology company, it seems you might know what you're doing. God, it's too... Oh. <laughs> That's just not fair. So yeah, it seems Intel kind of won that little contest. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think they might get disqualified. <laughs> for being a privately owned company yeah oh for being the manufacturer of the damn chip that was being tested or that too 
render complete 50 seconds. So Dave, what would you think if you had a car that was driven on human waste? The toilet industry would suffer. <laughs> That's what you think of? You don't think of, oh my gosh, my car is getting powered by poo? You think the toilet industry is going to suffer? Well, it would be, I guess it would be really, it, it would lighten the load, no pun intended, on the, <laughs> the software, not the software, oh wait, the water treatment plants. It would lower your sewer bill. Yeah. There you go. Oh, I'm Why? Are, are they testing this, Andy? I mean... It was actually launched Thursday. The, uh, the, the bio bug is a VW Beetle that can cover... Oh, this was the methane bug. Yeah. That's not... I mean, that's not human waste, though. It's human farts. Well, it's the methane that's generated from the waste. You, okay. You don't have a bunch of people just randomly farting into a canister. A tank. Of, yeah, that would... No. <laughs> that car oh, is a Dutch Gas up. stations would smell so <laughs> bad. Ugh. God. Yeah, how do you get the meth? I mean, how do you get this into the car? That's what I want to know. I'm, you know, I'm actually not sure I want to know. Yeah, that's true. There's a little hole cut out of all the seats. Oh. Oh. Makes doing cross-country trips a whole lot easier. Well, VW bugs will be the new outhouses. (laughs) I already, I already think the design already of the new bugs is crap, but... (laughs) <laughs> this is taking it a step too far. Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm trying not to, you know, just start cracking more uh, toilet-related humor. <laughs> That's what we're reduced to now is, is toilet humor? Yes. Okay. So speaking of crappy situations, Samsung, Toshiba, and LG have been, uh, let's see, they, according to a suit by filed by New York Attorney General Andrew Cuomo, They've been colluded with price fixing for LCD screens. And the surprise here is what? I, I don't know. It's, I remember hearing something that most LCD screens basically come from one or two companies. So Yeah. And LCD screens are everywhere now. Printer has got an LCD screen. My computer's got an LCD screen. Three, four, five, six, seven. I count seven in this room. Seven LCD screens? Uh, wait, sorry, eight. Nine. Was Sony included in that suit, or it was just those three? Um, Hitachi, LG, Toshiba, Sharp, AU Optronics, and Chai Mei. Damn. Oh, Samsung. Oh, and Samsung. And there's there's a bunch. You can read the PDF, but I don't want to open the PDF because last time I did yeah, that, it'll screw with the recording. Yeah, I count ten LCD screens in this room alone. Wow. Well, I I should point out that this room is like my entire apartment. Two, three, four, five. You've got your monitors. Six. Your TV. Seven. Your phone. Do you have a camera in the room? Eight. Nine. Nine. The, yeah, there's more than you think, right? Because yeah. your phones, the cameras, your printer, your monitors, your laptop. Oh my goodness. What is happening to us? <laughs> Technology. <laughs> I don't like it. Too bad. It's here. <laughs> It's here, it's clear, get over it. I mm. guess. So, yeah, it says that the cart, it was organized by the firms and it dominated the $70 billion market. That's how much money they lost, supposedly. Did they say how long that's been going on? From 1996 till 2006 is what the, what is he's allegating them to price colluding for. Wow. That's funny that's because sad. I used to be a TV buyer for Circuit City. So, yeah. (laughs) 
I have nothing to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, should we... Random topic? Do, yeah, random topic. Let's get on to this and then we'll wrap it up. Sure. I rolled ahead of time. Random topic is ballpoint or fountain pen. Oh. What? What mm. fountain pen? I'm, I'm sorry. Did you just ask what's a fountain pen? Yes. Yes, I did. I just asked what is a fountain pen. Andy. Fountain pens, the, the pens with like an inkwell? Like the old school ones. You, know, you you dip the pen, you suck up some of the ink, and then it slowly lets it out. But I thought... The ones in the, the old comedy routines where you'd squirt someone with the ink? Oh, they're the ones with the, the crazy tips. Yeah. Oh. That's a fountain pen. It's actually well, a, a... I think neo- there's kind of like, there's something missing from this whole question, because, you know, shouldn't it be like... Fountain pen versus ballpoint pen versus gel pen. Because really, like, I don't consider a gel pen a ballpoint pen. Oh, it's certainly not a ballpoint, but I, I don't know. I guess we could throw gel point, gel pens in there. Actually, there's a new pen that I found. It, it's a, it, For all intents and purposes, it's a ballpoint, but it's got a really weird ink that erases with friction. So you write with the pen, and you can erase it with the tip. Wow. So it's not like the erasable pens that really didn't erase? No, it it actually does like erase. Well we could just we could just go even further. We'll just say, okay, gel pens versus ballpoint pens versus fountain pens versus the quill. Well the quill is really a fountain it's, pen. Yeah, it's really the same thing. It is? Oh. Yeah, that, that's the same principle. Man, I do not know these <laughs> You don't know your pens. No. You need to get to know your stationery there, son. But you could do like charcoal, maybe? I, I, I know my off-white versus my white, and the different reams of paper, and the. Uh, there's there, there's pens, and then there's two types of paper. You have the paper you buy at Myers or Walmart, and then you have some fancy paper that you get at uh, FedEx or Kinkos. Two types of paper. Yes, there are two types of paper, and one type of pen. It's a pen. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a stationary nut. I admit it. I have an unhealthy obsession with stationery. Uh, when I went to Japan a couple months ago, I went to this store that had a whole floor dedicated to like pens and shit, and I went insane. Um, and I'm going to call it right now for the ballpoint pen. Really? I'm calling it for ballpoint. Calling it for ballpoint? Yes. I don't know. I mean, there's there's something about fountain pens, and maybe it's just like uh, there there's a cultural thing to it because it's kind of a neo-traditional bar mitzvah gift is to give a fountain pen. Really? Yeah, I don't know where it came from or why it happened, but that it's a kind of a traditional gift of here's a fountain pen. Congratulations, now you're a man. I don't know why. Congratulations, he actually, here's a man. Congratulations on being a man. Here's a pen that you probably don't know how to use. Right, yeah. you're not going to. That said, that pen was the finest pen I've ever owned. I do have to say, I own some nice cross pens. They're around here somewhere. If, if I ever were in a position where I had to sign formal documents, I'd want to use a fountain pen. However, you don't know how to use it, so your signature's going to wind up looking like ass. Well, you practice with it for a little bit. <laughs> That's true. You have to practice writing? Didn't you? <laughs> what is it, the elementary school? Didn't you have to practice writing when you first started picking up pens and pencils? Yes, but... If you were to pick up a tablet, wouldn't you have to practice writing? No, it's a tablet. Oh, really? Unless I had to learn Palm's crazy writing thing. Hey, I did have to learn that. Graffiti? I got good at that. But if I wanted to go and learn about the pen now, 
If I just because I can just pick up a pick a, 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 a ballpoint pen, I can pick a gel pen, a felt tip marker. I don't have to practice writing. Yeah, well, fountain pens actually aren't that different. But I just feel like it, plus I'm left-handed, so that's I'm. I just know that ink is well, not going to be dry you're enough. You're just screwed. Period. I mean, oh, it's just. You know what you could do is is you could learn to write backwards. I know how to write backwards by like write spelling out all the letters backwards. Yeah. But I don't know how to start from the... No, you, you start from the right side of the page and you write backwards. I wonder if I could do my signature backwards. How would that work? Not well. <laughs> um, yeah, this is not working. Yeah, mine is way too slanty to be able to write it backwards. It's not too bad. So you're going to go for the... I'm going to go for I, I don't care. We've got one for the ballpoint. Dave, what are you going to go for, the fountain pen? Uh, no, I, I think ballpoint wins in general use. Fountain pen's this kind of special thing. It's the pen you use on holidays. <laughs> it's the pen you use to sign your Christmas cards. You don't have Christmas cards, Dave. I don't have a fountain pen either. <laughs> Fine. Well, I, I do have this awesome friction pen that erases. Where did you get this thing? I need to know. Office Max? Really? Or Target, one or the other. It's, it's from Pilot. It's F-R-I-X-I-O-N. Oh my god, I have to have this. Remove by friction. Now, if you're left-handed, are you totally screwed? Because basically you're going to write, and then when your hand passes over the paper, it's going to erase no, what you no, just it wrote? It actually takes a, a bit of work. The end of the pen is kind of this, it's a pseudo-eraser. It's rubber, but it's not rubber that's going to fall apart like an eraser would. And you use that to rub off the pen. Okay. It's pretty cool, though. It really is. What other f- sort of fancy pens are there other than cross pens? Fountain pens? Well, I yes, I know, and cross pen makes fountain pens, but it, no, there's no company, because you have, like, the Bic oh, pens. like big fancy pen companies? Yes. Or is it just cross now? Graf von Faber-Castell? I, I don't know. World's ten most expensive pens. <laughs> Oh. All right, Dave, while you're looking that up, I'm going to close this out. Okay. Aubrey, before we go, we always let our guests pimp whatever site they would like to pimp. What site would you like to pimp? Um, You know, I'm going to go with the very predictable southpeakgames.com, which is obviously the website of my employer, South Peak Games. Um, yeah, so go there and then find us on Twitter and Facebook. I'm guessing and Twitter is... Twitter, Twitter is South Beat Games, and then uh, my, my personal Twitter is uh, Chupacabri, like the Chupacabra, but with my name. And uh, Facebook is also just South Beat Games. Okay. Dave, have you, right. have you found the most expensive pen yet? No, but I found a good company, Visconti, V-I-S-C-O-N-T-I dot I-T. They're Italian? Yeah. Ooh. Check them out. All right, I'm just going to go back to using side. Okay, one last thing. The pens that I've gotten for working with the census, mm-hmm. they're crap. Yeah. Just just letting you know. Grayson Thai limited edition fountain pen. These pens are sold for twenty-two dollars to $24,000 each. Oh, I'm sorry. I'd rather buy a car, you know, instead of a pen. Or if you buy a pen that actually costs, costs more than the car that you're signing it with. Yeah. $730,000 is the most expensive writing pen ever created. 
It is a creation, a joint creation between Montblanc and Van Cleef and Arpels. I didn't understand a single word you just said there. There are names. Oh, okay. All right. That's a very expensive pen. Okay. I think cool. we're going to close cool. on that. Okay. Thank you, Aubrey, for joining us. Thanks. And have a good week, everyone.